The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Welcome to the Roto-World Baseball Podcast. I'm DJ Short. Well, the team check-in series rolls on today, our newest episode, and I'm talking Seattle Mariners with Shannon Dreyer of 710 ESPN in Seattle. Before we get into that, a quick reminder that the Roto-World Baseball Draft Guide magazine is available in stores now, and there's also an online version, and I've said this before, continuously updated, basically daily, uh, depending on events going on. Uh, and it's loaded with everything you need to get ready for your fantasy draft. Over a thousand player profiles and projections, columns on sleepers, busts, prospects, much more. Average draft position data, mock draft analysis. I could really go on and on, but we do want to get into the show eventually. Uh, go to rotoworld.com for more information. Okay, let's get into the show now. Shannon, first off, welcome to the show. Thanks for making the time to come on. Oh, no problem. Well, the Mariners saved their best month of the 2016 season for September, but it was too little too late as they finished just off the pace in the American League wildcard race. The Mariners now have a 15-year playoff drought, the longest such drought in Major League Baseball, and Jerry Depoto did his part this offseason to change that as he was once again the most active general manager on the trade front. I actually feel a little nervous taping this interview because you never know what he's going to do next or when. Um, but the biggest trade was right around Thanksgiving, and that sent Taewon Walker, Cattell Marte, uh, to the Diamondbacks for Gene Segura, Mitch Hanniger, and Zach Curtis. I think this deal caught some people off guard as there's been such high hopes for Walker over the years, former top prospect, viewed as the heir apparent to Felix Hernandez at one point, and perhaps he'll meet that potential eventually, but clearly DePoto is prioritizing right now considering the core of this roster. Well, I think he is in some ways, but he's also doing his best to supplement it with pieces that are going to be around for a long time and uh, kind of just hold things steady while he tries to grow that in the minor leagues. You know, I don't think it is uh, 2017 or bust for this team. Uh, I think that his vision has always been, and it was interesting because his best opportunity to really break it down was when he first got to Seattle, and he chose not to do that. And you look at the Mariners' farm system and how poorly it's been rated um and i think rightfully so over the last you know, five six seven years and you would think that he would look at that and say okay well, let's scrap it but he really didn't and the thing to remember there is internal ratings are so different 
from the rankings that you see externally. And they saw a lot that they could work with, and they saw a lot that they could trade. If you go back and if you look at those 40 trades that he has made, a lot of them are smaller trades that supplement both for now and the future. And what got those pieces into Seattle are pieces from that farm system. So very interesting how he did that. So he chose not to break up that core, and they had a strong year with the exception of Felix Hernandez. So you look at Nelson Cruz, you look at Robinson Cano, I don't see a lot of drop-off, if any, with either of them. They're in fantastic shape in spring training. You look at Kyle Seeger, you hope he has a better April. If he had a good April last year, he may have been in the MVP conversation, and then Felix is kind of the big uh, question mark there. So when he went out in the second season, it was more of just kind of doing the same. Let's keep things going at the big league level. Let's get close to big league ready prospects. And that was kind of key to that deal with Arizona because all the plus that was made with Gene Segura and he led the National League in hits last year. Mitch Haniger was somebody they very much wanted, and that deal does not get done without him. In fact, he is penciled in as your opening day right fielder right now, and that's one of those players that hopefully is going to help bridge things as your core gets older. So that trade, while it was hard to give up Taiwan, they had seen everything, I think, they had basically five years to make an evaluation of him. That's not to say he's not going to realize the potential that he has, but I don't think they saw it coming this year or next. So I think that's one of the reasons why he was the one that was dealt. And that was their area of strength. They were either going to deal Walker or James Paxton. Uh, I think they feel that Paxton is closer to that breakout season. And so Walker was the one to go, and they got their, their shortstop that they needed and their leadoff batter, who's actually going to hit second, it would appear. And, you know, with any luck, they got their right fielder of the future starting opening day. Well, you touched on it right there. How does Scott Service plan to construct the top of that lineup with Segura? And they have Gerard Dyson there as well, adding that element of speed to the lineup. Well, what they're doing right now, and if you look at what um, Dyson has done in Kansas City, you know, he's a nice leadoff hitter, but it's been almost exclusively in a platoon role. And the Mariners are hopeful that he can play more than that. He hasn't done that. We'll see if that happens. If he can, he will be the leadoff hitter every day. If not, you might see Segura leading off against uh, lefties. So that remains to be seen. But that's an element of speed that they haven't had before. You had Leonis Martin, who also has that speed, who will be batting uh, ninth probably, and then Mitch Haniger will probably be around six or seven. Uh, so he's kind of out of that mix. But um, Segura and Dyson in particular are going to have that green light. and It's going to be up to your middle of the order hitters to get used to that because they're not used to that. They, they you know, basically had to put the red light on everybody last year when they found out that their running game and everything that they worked on in spring training wasn't working out for them. And with a guy like Dyson, he's smart. You know, it's a tough call when you've got Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz coming up. You really want to risk the out, but you ask Gerard Dyson, he's going to make it every time. So I, I think that, you know, they're veteran enough and smart enough to know when to run. I think the hope is that between Segura, Dyson, and Martin, they can get 100 stolen bases next year. Um, with this outfield, we've we've seen Nelson Cruz get a little bit of time out there. I'm assuming it was part of a plan to really improve this outfield defense. Dyson, uh, Martin had been there, obviously, and Hanniger. I think that could be a huge improvement for this team, sort of flying under the radar a bit. Yeah, and what that's going to do is that's going to help the pitchers and the starting pitchers in particular, and that's kind of the one area that you look at, and you get a little bit nervous when you look at the Mariners, that the, the starters they have, 
Uh, is it safe to call Felix Hernandez an ace still? Uh, I don't know. He had a tough year last year. He had a tough year the year before. So he, he's got a lot to prove there. Uh, Hisashi Iwakuma, it's going to be, what, his 36-year-old season. Yeah, is Are we going to see the fall off there? Is James Paxton going to be able to take the next step? You know, can uh, Drew Smiley bounce back and can Gallardo bounce back? That's a lot of question marks there. But the thing is, is that they are all established starting pitchers and the veterans. And James Paxton told me this last week. The difference in, in going out and throwing bullpens with these guys is that when they need to fix something, they make the adjustment in one to two pitches. Whereas when he's surrounded by young guys, they're all searching for something at this point of the season. So what you know, Jerry Depoto said uh, about a month ago is he called him you know, his stable five. And I, uh, while I don't think that's something you're going to put on a T-shirt to sell <laughs> your starting rotation, I, I think that there's a lot of comfort in that. And all you need them to do is get you to the sixth inning because they did build up the bullpen. So uh, I think that when you look at the outfield and the defense that they've brought in, that's going to save these guys some runs, and uh, I, I think that that is going to impact, you know, throughout the ball throughout the ball game. And you look at it, and I, I think that they are. I wish I had the exact number. I asked Jerry Depoto about how many runs they thought, you know, if things went well, they could save uh, over last year, and he said about thirty to forty. Hmm. Um, James Paxton, obviously, you mentioned him a couple of times. Super interesting. I think he could potentially be the ace of that staff this year. Really jump forward and do that. 379 ERA over 20 starts last year, made huge strides with his control, uh, just 24 walks and 121 innings. A big key was that uptick in velocity that we saw. For those maybe not familiar, could, could you explain what made such a dramatic difference there? Yeah, it was great to see. I mean, James Paxton was one of the big three. You might remember Taiwan Walker, James Paxton, and mm-hmm. Danny Holtzman that, uh, you know, were the future for the Mariners for a long time. Well, Danny Holtzman's in grad school right now, and uh, Taiwan Walker is with the Diamondbacks, and James Paxton is the last one standing right there, and he had great r- raw stuff. You know, a power pitcher, big left-hander. Um, you know, watched a lot of Clayton Kershaw, and for a while had a delivery quite similar to Kershaw's. I mean, he was a guy that could throw 96-97 with some regularity, and he came to spring training last year, um, you know, in, in the mix, should have won a spot and fell apart, just had a terrible spring training. And Nathan Carnes actually beat him out for a spot. So uh, Paxton was sent down to AAA, and the pitching coach there, Lance Painter, went to work and changed his delivery. And so now he's a little bit more three-quarter-ish rather than kind of over the top, and his wingspan is so huge. And just kind of, uh, you know, the effect that you get uh, just visually from that and at the plate, it's one of those situations where it's an uncomfortable at bat. But uh, in addition to coming up with just kind of better angles on his pitches, he picked up a couple of miles of velocity. Mm -hmm. So his first outing when he was called back up to Seattle was an absolute disaster. He went out and he pitched in that uh, game in San Diego. I think he gave up seven or eight runs and the Mariners came back and won in the ninth inning. It, it was, uh, it was one of the biggest comebacks in Mariner history. And uh, they had to run him out the next time he was called up when Felix Hernandez was hurt uh, last year. And all of a sudden Paxton gets out there and he's throwing 100, 101. <laughs> and he was still throwing 99 in his sixth inning pitch. And he's got good breaking pitches too. And so, you know, he has got everything. He's got the mentality. Uh, he's a hard worker. He's a competitor. He uses all the analytics that are available to him physically. He's, you know, strong guy. He's just been derailed by just stupid injuries, like a, a broken fingernail. 
right. to keep him out for six weeks. He had an oblique a couple of years ago. None of his injuries have been arm-related, knock on wood. But just, you know, he hurt himself in an agility drill, and that knocked him out for a few months. Uh, that kind of thing. So, you know, he still has every bit of potential. And when I watch James Paxson, I see a guy that is ready to take off. I think the picture is complete. I think he's been through everything that he needs to go through. I think he's learned everything. He's figured out everything. He's learned how to pitch. And if he stays healthy, I think you're right. I think he could be the ace of the staff. Very excited to watch him this year. I wanted to ask you about Robinson Cano. After hitting 35 homers combined over his first two seasons with the Mariners, he slugged a career-high 39 homers last season. Now, power was up all across the game, so it's hard to really get the context of it, but what changed with him? Was it just a matter of improved health? Well, improved health, and I think you're always comparing to that previous year, and he was so broken the previous year and didn't let anybody know. He had an okay first half in the second half. Actually, it was either way. He had a bad first half and an okay second half, and at the end of the season, we found out that he was playing with a double sports hernia for the majority of the season, and uh, we couldn't even tell, and that's the professional that he is, and that's the drive he has, and that's how to get out on the field, and that's how tough he is because I'm around this guy every day, and people were asking if he was hurt, and I said, I've seen no change. He does the same thing every day. Usually you can tell. You know, they have a change in routine. They're more in the training room. There's ice here or there. You never could tell with him, and so, you know, the year before, uh, you just saw, saw a guy that had no mobility to his left and right. You saw a guy who couldn't get to the out outside pitch because he couldn't move and uh he had the surgery and then he went and he worked out with a trainer by the name of iron glenn and hmm. iron glenn works out with several major leaguers uh dylan Batanzas is one nelson cruz is another very uh motivated um just the workouts there on his instagram they're pretty phenomenal and felix hernandez because of the results you saw with robinson cano last season worked out with him this off season as well and iron got him Iron Glenn got him back from the surgery because there's a lot of rebuilding to do any time they cut into you. And so there was a lot of work to be done there, but did different kinds of workouts with Cano. And I think he was a lot stronger. And in camp this year, he looks even bigger. But this is a guy, you know, one of the first uh, to the clubhouse every day and one of the last to leave every day. He works hard. He's one of those guys where if you say, you know, everything he does, he makes it look so easy. He almost takes that as an insult. He says it's not easy. You know, he's putting in that work. There's no question about it. So I think he's kind of one of those guys who's really made the transition nicely from being the young kid and, you know, 25, 26, 27, you get into your 30s, the body changes, and he adapted his workouts. And I think that you're looking at a very, very strong guy up there right now. And you you pair that up with his eye, with his approach and, and his ability to go the other way and put the baseball pretty much wherever he wants to. And, you know, I, I think the power is just something that is just kind of added on at this point of his career speaking of power mike zanino um began last year in the minors put up big numbers in triple a before returning to the mariners we saw big time power that's always been there 12 homers with a 787 ops in 55 games but he hit just 207 what's the feeling on his progress till this point the feeling is is you know they're going to give him a lot of time because he is so good uh, for the pitching staff and you know they love him defensively they love his framing work and that's the organization and the pitchers um drew smiley when he caught him the first time was you know just right he said he couldn't believe he saw right away that this guy is going to you know make sure i get all of my strikes and steal me a couple here or there he was very impressed um the power is ridiculous there's not a scoreboard that's safe in the american league um mm-hmm. I, I think that he will hit one out of safeco field someday which, uh, you know, is, is crazy. And uh, only I think Nelson Cruz, I think, is the only other to do it in batting practice. But 
um, you know, he was rushed to the big leagues and things were missed. And he is a guy, the son of a, a, a scout who grew up in the game that, you know, he, he is everything you want in the catcher as far as taking everything on his shoulders. But I think it was too much. And uh, I, I think that uh, the reset they had with him, sending him to AAA, reworking the sw- swing, reworking the approach, I, I think that that helped. He came up and he had a good first month. And then after that, it kind of fell off. And because they value him so much and he is still young and because they know that the process was missed and he is going to be a guy that strikes out a lot and they'll trade that for the power that he has. Uh, they think that there are going to be ups and downs. They don't think that it was two and a half months in the minor leagues and all of a sudden Mike Zanino is fixed. So they are going to continue to work with him. If he has a bad week, uh, if he has a bad two weeks, it's not going to mean this is a failure and he's sent down to the minor leagues. Yeah, I think that when you look at catchers these days, if you can get a guy that hits 240 and 25 home runs. Those are pretty nice numbers right there. He could probably hit more home runs, but they're taking the pressure off. They brought Scott Brocious, was the AAA hitting coach. Uh, they brought him up to the big league levels to work with Edgar Martinez. Mike works very well with Scott Brocious. He's one of the people that helped him when he was down in the minor leagues, so they're doing absolutely everything they can to set him up for success. Final question here about the bullpen. Uh, Edwin Diaz was a major bright spot last year, was moved to the bullpen in the minors, uh, quickly found his way to the majors, and he was pretty amazing for the most part. 279 ERA in 49 appearances, 88 strikeouts in 51 and two-thirds innings, triple digits on the fastball, electric slider. We know great stuff. Um, Looks like the ninth inning is going to be secure for a long time, perhaps, but what is the bridge to Diaz going to look like to begin the year, especially with Steve Ciszek, uh coming back from hip surgery? Yeah, that's where things are going to get a little bit interesting, and you hope you get Ciszek back as soon as possible because, you know, when he was healthy, he was good, and he would be that perfect bridge and also that perfect insurance if Diaz needs a day off here or there. They've got a lot of uh, different arms in camp right now, and I think that it will probably be a little bit more of a situation of mix and match uh, until C-Sheck can get there, but uh, they, they've had some good success with what they've had. Nick Vincent, uh, you know, he, he was a last-minute pickup in spring training last year. He had a high home run rate, uh, but interestingly, one of the most unhittable fastballs in baseball, which makes no sense when you see it, but it is. Uh, I, I think that he has got the demeanor and a little bit of the experience where he can be that guy if he comes out of spring training feeling good. And relievers, spring training of such it's tough to gauge anything. You know, I think it's going to be whoever looks good in the last 10 days where it's most important. That's where you want to see them click in. We'll, we'll have that opportunity. They've got some other power arms, uh, Dan Altavilla, who came up last year also from AA. I don't know that they would pitch him in the eighth because he doesn't have a ton of experience. Evan Scribner did very well for this club last year. He, he missed most of the year with an oblique type injury and uh, came up, I believe it was the middle of August and didn't give up a run the entire time he was up. So I think that that's someone that they could go to too. They might lean on Mark Zuchensky a little bit more than too and go with a veteran. But uh, I think you're probably going to see a mix and match. The hope is Ciszek can be back uh, in or after, right after week two of the season. And, um, you know, hopefully you get those pitchers deep into the game and you don't have to go much further than that. And just to wrap things up here, let the people know where they can follow your work on social media and elsewhere. I am at Shannon Dreyer on Twitter, and I do daily blogs on MyNorthwest.com or 710sports.com. Thanks again. Oh, anytime. Good stuff there from Shannon. If you're enjoying what you're hearing with these episodes, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. And subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. So if you use Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Audio Boom, you know what to do. 
If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email rotoworldbaseballpod at gmail.com. Again, that email address is rotoworldbaseballpod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at DJ Short. My co-host, Drew Silva, who's doing a bunch of these episodes as well. He's at Drew Silva on Twitter, and I will see you next time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.